Today we're continuing in Ephesians, and we've reached part 19, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, and I'll explain why in just one moment. Last time we were looking at this passage, and we were looking at um, watch carefully how you walk. And there were three things, not as unwise, but as wise. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then don't get drunk on wine, but be continually filled by the Spirit. And we focused on this last part with the the singing and just singing to God, singing with one another. And we also, we spent some time in looking at the first one, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. But we never really looked at verse 17. And do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Um, And I want to focus on this today. But there are two other things which we've kind of skipped over in this series, which fit in very well with this text. So we're going to do all three of them today. We never talked much about the context of the city of Ephesus. What were the Christians struggling with there that Paul was writing to address? What was going on in this city? And we didn't talk about the places in Acts where Paul visited Ephesus. And we can see what happened, the stories of what happened while he was there. And we need to look at these things. And it turns out that verse 17 fits in very well with both of those two things. I didn't want to start the series by giving all of this other stuff because I just wanted to get right into the scriptures. But now we have to cover this background stuff at some point, and it's going to fit in very well today. So what I'm going to do then today is I'm going to uh, look at the city of Ephesus, what the Christians faced, and why they needed to understand the will of the Lord, and then why we need to understand the will of the Lord. So what about this city? Uh, the city of Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that point. Only Rome and Alexandria in Egypt were bigger than Ephesus. It was a massive city. This is a theater that was there, and it's just, it's there. that's a picture today. It is just so vast. The city is just, it was such a, a highly sophisticated, developed city. Uh, here's a library that was there, and uh, you can see streets, marble streets still there. It's all, so much of it is, has survived time because it was all built so well. Um, so what what was going on in this city at this time? There was a, it was a center of pagan worship. It was a center, not just pagan worship, but particularly magical pagan worship. It was known for that. It was known for the dark magic as well. And uh, this is a, this is one of the gods. This is a god Artemis also known as Diana of the Ephesians. And Artemis was their main, they had about 50 gods, but she was the main one. Her temple outside of the city was four times as big as the the Parthenon temple in Athens. And it was one of the the wonders of the ancient world. And uh, this was um, 
this was a real center of this kind of thing. And so given this context from history of what this city was like, let's look at some scriptures in Acts where Paul visited the city. So the first visit in Acts 18, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. So that was a brief visit. And then he had a second visit, and he probably spent longer in Ephesus than any other single city that we read of in Acts. He spent at least three years there. Uh, the second visit, Acts 19, Paul passed through the Inan country and came to Ephesus. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So this is addressing the, Jew the Jewish population there. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoned daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Sometimes it's translated the school of Tyrannus, the biblical basis for renting a school for having your meetings. <laughs> um, they, they continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, which is now present-day Turkey, uh, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. So even handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched, that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. And then, um, I'm just a topic of evil spirits, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. So there were whole lots of Jews mixed with pagans. There was this whole subcult of Jewish paganism that would do exorcisms, amongst other things. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. <coughs> Fear fell upon all of them, <coughs> them all, and the, na the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now, the next bit of the story is kind of surprising. <clears throat> also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and di divulging their practices like these are Christians, <clears throat> they've still got the stuff. A number of those who'd practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Lord of the... So I think that's... I read some of that would be 50,000 days wages of work. So I don't know how many. That's a huge amount of, of value that was there. Um, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And next week, we're having a book burning session here. For any of you practicing magical arts, we're going to burn them in the parking lot out there. Um, 
So this shocking thing is that this is the Christians still involved in this stuff, and it wasn't until they saw this event happen they got shocked out of it. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That was the way was their kind of a, one of the terms for the gospel, the Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, the, the, the goddess we saw earlier, brought no little business to the draftsman, and he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger that, that not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may even be dis- deposed from her magnificence, she, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were in, enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, basically they're worried about losing income because nobody's buying their idols anymore. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among them, among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Ashaks, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. And that was probably the theater we saw in that picture there earlier now some of them cried out one thing some another for the assembly was in confusion and most of them didn't know why they'd come together some of the crowd prompted alexander whom the jews put forward and alexander motioning with his hand wanted to make a defense to the crowd but when they recognized he was a jew for about two hours they all cried out with one voice great is artemis of the ephesians And when the town clerk had quietened the crowd, so this would be the Roman official, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know the city of Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing that then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and his craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts open and there are proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. So you have to say one thing about the Romans. They did have a legal system. They did have a process. And they, they stepped and said, look, no, this doesn't make sense. Uh, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly. In other words, you know, bring it to our council, we'll have a meeting about it. For if we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify the commotion. So he has to, he has to report to higher Roman authorities. And when he said this, these things, he dismissed the assembly. And so that's quite a story that happened um, in, in Paul's, while Paul was there. And you can see the context there of the level of idolatry in the city. And then there's one more account in Acts 20 
From Miletus he set sail to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And now, behold, I know that none of you, I'm quoting him now, none of you um, among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, be careful, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing a flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I now commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all these things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they braced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he'd spoken that he would not see, they would not see his face again. And he accompanied them to the ship. That's quite touching, isn't it? And that gives you some of the context of this letter that he's writing. They mean so much to him. He's not writing this as an academic discourse, but as, as people he's invested so much in and who mean so much to him. So uh, these were the Christians, as I said, who were burning the magic books. And this gives us some context to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, which we're going to be, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at later uh, in a later week. Uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Um, So are these things still relevant to us today in Toronto? Do we like? Do we have a problem here in Toronto with the uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, or are they all back in those times? I think we have. He just appears differently. He appears just more not so visible. But we have the same issues that we're wrestling, not against f- flesh and blood. Um, he said, "It says, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth." That's very interesting. Uh, we are going to t- today be putting on belt of truth. This is what we're going to be doing to stand against these forces. And there's some other, th- it's about the things he says, but also verse 17, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so a lot of the ways that Paul fights these, these, uh, this, this world of darkness is with the truth. It's with the truth. And so, uh, I'm going to argue then that this verse we're looking at today is founded in this particular battle. 
and understanding the will of the Lord, we're going to see is is really functional uh, functions mainly in terms of like getting this truth, which enables us to fight the battle. And so we've looked at the city of Ephesus, what the Christians faced. We're now going to look at understanding the will of the Lord and how we can do that. So Ephesians 5.17. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, it'd be possible to read this and and take this as a a kind of what's God's personal will for me and, you know, how do I get guidance? And, you know, obviously God can bring guidance in our life, but that's actually not, I believe, what Paul is speaking about directly today. Uh, For for a number of reasons, uh, the the word he uses for understand is a word which uh, it's literally in the Greek, it means fitting things together bringing things together. And this is really what it is to understand. Well, that's true, and that's true. And how do those fit together? And how does that fit into my life? And it's it's like the image of a river, which two rivers flowing together, and they're coming together, and they're kind of making a new river. And so, and the expression, the will of the Lord, when we look at how that's used in Ephesians, it's really interesting. I'm just going to show you some examples of how the will of the Lord is used having predestined us to sonship through Christ Jesus himself, according to the pleasure of his will. So it's his will to, to, to choose us and to bring us into, into make us his children. And so understanding his will means to understand this. He lavished on us all wisdom and insight. So understanding God's wisdom and will is understanding the love that he's lavished on us. Having revealed to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure, in whom we have also received an inheritance according to the counsel of his will. And so when you look at the word God's will, it's God's will towards us in terms of blessing us. God's will in terms of pouring his love to us. And when Paul says understand his will, it's usually in the context of the immeasurable love that he's shown to us. That's what we need to get. And that actually is a defense against the darkness. Um, uh, Later on in Ephesians 4, we read some more more quotes about his will. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of their heart. In other words, they don't receive God's will. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You didn't understand his will. Given that, in, given that him you learned, you sorry, you heard, and in him you were taught since the truth is in Jesus. And so it's getting this truth, it's getting this will of God into us that gives us this defense. So do you understand how understanding the will of the Lord can address the problems of the darkness surrounding Jerusalem, surrounding Ephesus at this time? Uh, The other thing is it's through falsehood that Satan attacks. In 4.14 we read, tossed to and fro, 
by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Satan brings deceit and lies in, brings falsehood. He destroys relationships by spreading falsehood. Oh, did you hear what that person did? Lies come in, he destroys, and it's this, he, he is the father of lies. And so, we see this woven through it. Let no one deceive you with empty words, Paul says. And uh, moving on to Ephesians 6 here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in of evil in the heavenly places. So how does Paul address this? By saying, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and take the sword of the Spirit. And so, in this letter, this letter, I believe, is actually a mini belt of truth. It's, you know, it's only six chapters, but in this epistle, he's actually not just telling them to put on the belt of truth, but he's, here it is. I'm actually giving it to you. And it's a beautiful summary of Ephesians, of what we need to stand against the evil. And so I'm going to, going to move on then to saying is, what is it that we need to know? And so my, my, uh, my first, uh, okay, let me, my first point then was, uh, this was happening in Ephesus. My second was, what does the verse mean? And the third was actually taking this into ourselves. So, uh, the first, it's, it's actually quite, uh, quite beautiful how the book is structured, and I've spent a lot of time talking about this. But the, the first section of Ephesians, which is um, verses 3 through to 15, is like a table of contents. And he cut, summarizes what he's going to be talking about in the rest of the book. And he puts it under three heads, and the three headings are past, present, and future. And those, and then he develops the past, what God's done for us in the past, how he's shown us love in the past, what he's doing now, and how we're involved in that, and then how we are to walk in the future and what our future hope is. And uh, just uh, some, um, I, I want to give you, I, I, I want us to put on the belt right now. So just get ready. Get get your, your mind open and get ready to take some stuff in because what we're going to get now is a mini compact 10-minute uh, version of what Paul is giving to the Ephesians as a weapon against the darkness. And so we're going to start with, with the, the past, with truth number one, the past. God's love already given to you. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved you. Isn't that amazing? His great love which has loved you, even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up together and seated us together in the heavenly places. Hang on. Are you seated on a seat in here? Or are you seated in the heavenly places right now? Hmm? Maybe both. Yeah, that's right. If you're a believer, you actually, in the spiritual realm, you are sitting in your authority with Jesus in the heavenly places. So that in the coming ages, he may display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us 
in Christ Jesus. So let me just summarize this in three words, joined to Jesus, joined to Jesus. If you are a believer, you are inseparably connected with him for eternity. You joined him. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can. And if you can really grasp that, you're joined to Jesus. Because he died, your sins were, were dealt with at the cross. Because he died, because he was raised, he was raised, you're given new life and you're declared righteous in him. And he was he's now seated with authority over all other entities in, in, in the universe. You have that authority because you're joined to him inseparably. And I want to say that this is perhaps the most, for me, this is perhaps the most important of these truths, that I am joined to Jesus forever and nothing can separate me from that. And what Paul is saying is, if you can understand the will of the Lord, in joining you to Jesus. This will empower you against all of these evil forces. And so let this settle, let this truth settle into you right now. Because as you as you fit it together in your mind, as you understand it, it will have a transformative power in your life. The, I've talked before about the, the amazing man Hudson Taylor, who did wonderful things, but just wasn't making progress spiritually. And he had an absolute transformation in his life, which he wrote books about. He suddenly understood being united with Jesus, and it just transformed everything in his life and in his work. And other people have had the same experience, getting this, really getting it. it says. I'm just connected. Jesus has joined me to himself in a bond that cannot be broken for eternity. And his destiny is my destiny. And his destiny is ruling over everything. And so I'm seated with him because of that. So just get that. Can you, can you, can you get that? Can you really let that settle into you? So that's truth. Uh, that's tr tr truth one. That's the past. The present you are now a key part of God's master plan. You are so, what you are doing in your life, and particularly as you are part of a, a, a community of believers, is incredibly important. He talks about the plan hidden through the ages in God, who created all things, so as now to make known through the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the purpose of the ages. And we spent some time back earlier this year talking about this, but essentially God, from the beginning of time, had been planning he was going to build a new community based on the love of Jesus, a community of love. And, you know, we're, we're a shadow of what God wants us to be, but we want to move in that direction of reflecting his love to this world because that is his big plan. The church, the community of his people isn't just an afterthought, um, a convenient way of getting Christians together. No, this is such an important thing. And you can do this. And anything you do in building community and showing love to one another has eternal value in God. So that's the second of the truth. That's the present. Then uh, we, what we need to do then is to see how important we are. And you may think, well, I'm, I'm nothing. But the whole message of this truth is every part is needed. Every single person has a part to play, which is got huge value in God's eyes. So see yourself as someone who can do something for God in this way, in part of his big plan. 
Can you see how important you are to God's plan? Can you see that? Don't say, oh, I'm a nothing. Say, I have been chosen to be part of what God is doing, displaying to to the, the world of darkness his light. Truth three, the future. The Spirit helps us grasp our inexpressible future in Ephesians 3, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory with power to be strengthened through his Spirit in your inner being for Christ to dwell through faith in your hearts. Being, uh, he says, um, in your hearts and being rooted and grounded in love. And he wants us to be strengthened. What is that? He wants to be strengthened so that we will we will know that this love that's within us. And so, the the future that we have is uh, rooted and grounded is this um, destiny that we have. And let me just move on to uh, there. We go next verse that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this is our destiny. This is our future to be filled with all the fullness of God that we will, we will have, um, uh, we will experience verse 19, a love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And the work of the spirit is to help us have strength to comprehend this. Does this sound good to you? Does this sound like a truth that's like good to buckle around you? That if you really get this, if you really get that you uh, are go- you have a love which surpasses knowledge, which is it, that the intensity of his love for you, and that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God, that the little temptations of this world are nothing compared with that. And so my prayer today is that all of us will so be grounded in this truth of God's will that it will be a defense against all the stuff that's happening around us, but more than that, will, will turn us into a light that's shining out into us. And so this then is the, the, uh, the answer that Paul has to the darkness in Ephesus. It's the answer to the idolatry, the answer to the powers of Satan that are working. It's the answer to the evil wolves that are coming in. He wrote this book probably around five or six years after that those last verses in Acts that we read, where he warned them about what was going to be happening. And the preeminent message of Ephesians is love. And that was his answer to the wolves coming in. No, if we're a community of love that is so filled with the love of God, then the wolves can't attack. They won't be able to plant their, their lies in us that turn people against each other. And so uh, what I'd like to do now, um, Dan, uh, Dan's going to come up and lead us in, in, in singing praises to God. But before the, we, we do that, I would like us just to, to read through this prayer together. And as we read it through, I want you to try to um, to really allow it to sink into you what God has for you. And let's actually look at the context of the verse before. Um, the prayer is that he will grant us with power to be strengthened, to be grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, and 
through the power will be that we will have the strength to comprehend these things. And so I'm just going to pray that God will give us the strength, and then I'd like us all to pray this together. That's okay. Lord, we thank you that you are giving us your spirit right now to help us to grasp this truth that's too big for us to grasp without your power. And so come, Holy Spirit, and speak these words into us now, we pray. So let's read this together. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.